Thank you, Katrina. The church is a movement, and even when we go on a short-term missions trip, God is moving his church out. You know, when you think about the first century, I think um, the early church would have done short-term missions if they had the technology and the transportation we have to do things quickly. You know, for Paul, a short-term missions trip was like a year to two years, and uh, travel was extremely slow. By the way, I think we're missing some lights that don't work, so I'm in the dark, um, but I hope uh, you hear me okay. Um, The church is a movement, and David is moving, and that's not fun for me. Um, I've appreciated David uh, through the years. October 31st, 2007, Sue and I were sitting in Culver's in Chippewa Falls, and we were being interviewed about being church planters here in Eau Claire. And it was our district guys and a couple of local pastors. And um, the district superintendent said, yes, thanks, Bridge Kids. You are dismissed. I'm sorry I didn't recognize you. Thank you. You're so patient. But they know me. I forget. So um, the district superintendent says, Sue, you'll be leading worship, won't you? Because she had uh, led worship in our past church. And Sue said, no, I really think we need somebody younger at the bridge. In o- we didn't have a name then, but at, in Eau Claire. And uh, Steve Hurd was sitting there. He was pastor at Fall Creek at that time, David Hurd's father. And he said, you know, my son could lead worship. And okay, I, you know, I don't know your son. I've never seen your son. I don't know if he can lead worship. And so... Um, We moved forward, and we visited Fall Creek on a Saturday night where David was leading worship, and I got to see David and actually uh, the band Neil, and they they did our opening in 2009 when we opened, uh, went public as a church, and uh, so I talked to this back in maybe January 2008. I got to talk to David alone, and I invited David to be the director of worship at this new church in Eau Claire. And uh, five people had said yes to this new church, and that's all. And they just agreed to be on our launch team. And so David said yes, and he said yes to be the director of worship. This is January 2008. It's not going to be until March 2009 that we actually go public and launch. So David started as a volunteer. He was a college student. Then he became part-time and then full-time. And look where we've come. And God has been good, and I'm so grateful for the time we've had with both David and Amelia, and we're going to miss him. But the church is a movement, and they're moving to California, and they will be ambassadors for Christ in California. That the church is a movement is a very strong theme in the book of Acts. The church is a movement is not a definition of the church but is it a description? It is especially a description of what happens in Acts. The church was never to, uh, intended to be identified with a building or all the things that are inside of a building. The church was always about the people, specifically the people who are the followers of Christ. In Acts chapter 1, uh, we started a couple weeks back, the stage was set. Forty days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus met with his disciples. And he said, 
that they would receive power, that they were to be witnesses for him. They should go back to Jerusalem and wait for that power. And then he ascended into heaven right before their very eyes, and he left them all alone. And their job was to go back to Jerusalem and to wait. And then we talked about uh, how also in Acts 1, the leadership for the church was identified. Remember, Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus. They were down to 11, and 12 was important. It's going to be important, uh, clear in the book of Revelation. And uh, Jesus instructed them uh, that they uh, that there would be 12 and then this need arose we need to have another leader and so um, Matthias was selected he had been with Jesus from the time of Jesus's baptism and he had seen Jesus after the resurrection and he qualified to be an apostle and he was chosen to be one of the 12 and that's where we left off uh, last week today is about the gift that the father promised and we're going to see that in Acts 2. But I want to read Acts chapter 1. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible or your smartphone or whatever else is smart that you brought to, to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, I'm going to go back to verses 4 and 5. This is a passage. We're going to need a brighter light up here because this one is just about dead. Uh, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them the command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's what they are waiting for. And we're going to get to Acts chapter 2 in just a minute. But I want to lay some groundwork, some background to this. Thank you so much. Now, look, this sheds so much light on the situation. So, background that Jesus gave instructions about this gift. Now, hang on. I'm going to look at several passages. I really want to lay the background here. I really want you to see how big a deal this is going to be. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17... Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. This is the night he was betrayed. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are not listed in any other Gospels, the things that happened there. And there's an extended time of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of John. This is part of it, John 14. Jesus told his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. Someone else. Another, um, another advocate, another, very important. In the Greek, the word is alas, and it means another of the same kind, not another of a different kind. So this kind has to be like Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit or the Father fit. He's going to send another who will be an advocate. For, and this is going to be good for the disciples that they have an advocate, somebody who's going to stand with them and for them to help, to be with you forever. It's going to be an eternal relationship. And he is the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because they neither see him nor know, knows him, but you know him. Now, this is crucial here. For he lives with you and will be in you, but not yet. Okay? 
They had experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives. They had seen the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They had seen miracles. They had seen God use them in their teaching and even casting out demons and doing some miracles. But the Holy Spirit was with them and the Holy Spirit was not in them. This is going to be huge because a big change is coming. Okay? So, now we're going to go John 14, 23 through 26. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and, will, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus is saying God is going to come and make his home, going to dwell with his people, with his followers. But let's go on. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Next slide. All this I've spoken while with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. There it is, a promise. God is going to send the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, and he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I've said to you because the disciples are not doing very well on remembering what Jesus has taught them. Read the Gospels. He teaches, he teaches, and they're thinking about food. They're getting hungry. And he teaches, and he teaches, and they ask the dumbest questions. We probably would have too. But something's going to change. It's going to help them remember. Something, uh, and it's, it, it's going to be the gift the Father sends. He will remind you of everything I've said to you, and that's going to be great for them. Uh, let's go to John 15, verses 26. So we just saw two instances in John 14. Here's John 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, is to focus on Jesus. By the way, the Holy Spirit does not focus on himself. He focuses on the person of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Even the Father puts focus on Jesus. And you also must testify, because remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. You're going to tell the truth. That's your job as a witness. Tell what you know. You can't tell what you don't know, but you can tell what you do know. Who is Jesus? Why is he here? Why did he come? What is his purpose? For you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so next is John 16, verses 7 through 11. This is background. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. First, Jesus has to go back to heaven. Holy Spirit's not coming until Jesus goes back to heaven. But Jesus has already ascended in Acts chapter 2. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. He's going to convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's going to bring clarity for people about sin. And that's what really helped me understand about sin as an atheist when I was 25 years old. I was pretty blind to a lot of things, but people were praying for me. God began to work in my life. I began to understand what it meant to be a sinner. It was kind of a slow process for me. I began to understand more about who Jesus is and his righteousness. Convict, 
the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. And I got that there was a judgment coming. And God really used the book of Revelation to open my eyes about end times and about what's going to happen. And, and there's going to be there's an evil one. And there's going to be a lake of fire. About sin, because people do not believe in me. Next slide. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world, and that refers to Satan, the prince of this world, now stands condemned. He stands condemned in John uh, 16. After the crucifixion, he will be defeated. He's a defeated enemy right now. And when Jesus comes again, he will be a destroyed enemy. Revelation chapter 20. So, uh, Jesus had much to say about the Father sending the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's my point here. He had much to say. This was on his heart the night before his death. Now, the resurrection and ascension have happened. The ascension was Acts chapter 1. And the disciples have been waiting, and they have been praying. And so we're going to jump. We're going to miss the Acts 1 passage, and we're going to jump to... uh, Follow all in your outline, and I would encourage you, uh, number one, the Father sends his gift. This is the promised gift. And let's look at verses 1 through 4 in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was a strange and an amazing event that happens here. This is going to be a monstrous change in the history of the world right here. The setting, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. The time is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a festival. The word Pentecost is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but the festival was. Pentecost stands for, it was the Greek word for 50th, 50. And um, it referred to the 50th day after the Jewish Passover feast. And if you remember a little bit about the Gospels, Jesus was crucified on the Passover. Guess what? This is 50 days after Jesus was crucified. 40 days after he was uh, crucified, he ascended into heaven. Now, 10 days later is the day of Pentecost. The place is in Jerusalem. And it's likely the same room that they were waiting in in Acts chapter 1 where they were praying. It it was an upper room. may have been the same upper room where Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. Who? Who was present? The disciples are present. It includes the 12. Likely would include uh, all of the group that that were in Acts chapter 1. And Luke tells us in Acts 1 that there were about 120 in in the room. And so... This group of people are together in one place. And then the experience happens in verses 2 and 3. It was an experience. Look at verse 2. Suddenly, 
A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It was a sound. This was an experience. This was an attention grabber. And it was loud. And I'm guessing somehow it didn't damage their eardrums. However, I've heard that when people have been close to a tornado, that sometimes I've heard it described as uh, the sound of 10 uh, freight trains all coming at once. The point being, violet wind, that's what they heard. They heard. It doesn't say the wind came. It says they heard a sound. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This sound filled the whole room. And it had their attention. And, um, you know, was, was everybody praying? Maybe. Some of them texting? I don't know. But this sound, all of a sudden, everybody, everybody knows something's up. Jesus said to pray and wait. This must be it. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They saw something visually. They heard and now they see. And it looks like fire. Not only that, it looks like tongues that would, they came and they rested on each person, male and female. Maybe boys and girls. And no respecter of persons. It wasn't about education or race or income. It was on the people who were praying and waiting in this room. They saw what seemed to be. It was like. It wasn't fire that burned their tongues. It was something like that, that they could see. It was very visual. It separated and it marked the whole group at once. It wasn't just, okay, Peter and James, you're in. It was the whole group. Um, And both of these are symbols in the Old Testament of the presence of God. The wind was a symbol in Elijah's day. The fire was a symbol for Abraham in Genesis 15. The fire was a symbol for Moses in Exodus 3. And for the people of Israel when they uh, were in the desert and God was leading them, it was fire by night and a cloud by day. And the presence of God. God was present in this experience. We see the result in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Whatever happened, all of these, say, 120, were filled with the Holy Spirit. It meant they were influenced by the Holy Spirit. There was a yieldedness and a control of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak, and they spoke in other tongues. And I think there might be a connection between the Fire that they saw as a tongue that descended on people. And they were enabled to speak in other tongues. And a other tongue means other language. 
and they were known languages, and they were languages of the day. In fact, they are languages of the people present in Jerusalem on this day. And the point is, there is going to be, this is a miracle, and uh, these people are enabled to speak languages that they've never learned before. It'd be like if I uh, were enabled to speak uh, Hindi, I've been in India, or Swahili, if I were enabled to do that and communicate who God is and what Jesus has done for them, that would be miraculous. That's what happened here in Acts chapter 2. They were given the ability to communicate. We see the audience in verses 5 through 11. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is because of the festival of Pentecost. Pentecost would be one of the three largest and most important festivals in Israel's religion in the Old Testament. And Jewish males were required to come and to worship at Jerusalem wherever they lived. They didn't all get to do that. They were supposed to send some kind of finances in their place. But that was the norm. For people, we would call them religious pilgrims, to return to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And so during these times, the population of Jerusalem expanded. Thousands and thousands of extra people came. This is really good for business, by the way. They caught on to that. But it was a time when people came because they wanted to worship and they wanted to go to the temple and be near God's place. Verse 6 says, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They heard the sound of the wind first. It was very loud. It was an attention getter. That's what God does when he does signs and wonders an attention getter. Wake up, people. I'm doing something, and I want you to listen up. And the crowd heard, each one heard in their own language what was being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed. And that would be the appropriate response to God's work here. They said, aren't all these speaking Galileans? How can they do that? Galileans, you know, are not known to be the most educated people you ever want to meet. They're just working people. They're fishermen. They don't talk well. You know, you can spot a Galilean a mile off by the way they dress and how they speak. How can this be? How can they communicate in our language? Verse 8. Then it is, then now is it each of us who hears in our own negative language? How are the Galileans able to do this? Verse 9, look at this. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. That's Africa. And visitors from Rome. Whoa, that's at the edge of the earth. You go past Rome and you'll fall off. I don't know that they believe that. They believe that in the Middle Ages or later. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all of these languages were spoken right here in Acts chapter 2. 
when the Holy Spirit came and descended upon the followers of Christ. So they had the ability to speak in 120 languages. And it would be no surprise if there were 120 languages in Jerusalem on this day. Now we've already had some good, a good map. But we've got one more map. So, can you find Jerusalem toward the center and the bottom, the little red dot? That's where they are. You see, Judea is a province that Jerusalem is in. The list really starts from the east, Parthia, Midia, Elam, goes across the top, Cappadocia, Pontus, all the way, and picks up the ones on the bottom, all the way to Rome. So think about this. All these people have come to Jerusalem for such a time as this. I wonder if God is up to something here. Do you think he thought this through ahead of time? Because in Acts chapter 2, all of these people are going to hear the gospel in one place. That's what the message is next week in Acts chapter 2. Peter's sermon about who Jesus is and an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus. And the people in these areas are going to hear. And they're going to have to go back home. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. God is up to something. He's at work. He's a plan. Now, what if you were one of those people back in Acts chapter 1? Jesus said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. What? You know, remember Jerusalem is the place they crucified Jesus? Remember how afraid Peter was the night that Jesus was crucified? I would have been afraid too. I would have hid. They probably walked, they probably traveled at night, didn't want to be seen. The danger of the Romans coming to arrest them or the Jewish police coming to get them. They could be crucified. They could become the laughing stock. That was risky to go back to Jerusalem and wait. You know? I could hear the conversation. You get 120 in, an up, in a room. You don't think there was some doubt? I'd like to get back to Galilee. I haven't seen my family for weeks. I wonder if, you know, why can't we just go back and be witnesses in Galilee? Why do we have to stay here? And yet, God has a plan, and he's asking his people to follow his instructions. Will you obey Will you trust me? Will you live by faith? You know, I don't know about you, but maybe you're in a place where you're waiting or you've heard God's instructions and you're not sure that it's a good idea. And I want to encourage you that you can trust God. You can trust him. He is worthy. Um, he knows what he's doing. He will lead you. And he always leads ultimately to a good place. And there may be some work he's going to do along the way. It's not always easy. It wasn't easy for these people to sit and wait and just pray. But they did. And some amazing things are going to happen because of their obedience. Verse 12, the question, amazed 
and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? This is really a good question. This is an appropriate question. You see something like this, there's got to be some significance to it. What does it mean? We need to get to the answer. We need to find the answer. And, you know, I think God is honored when we want to search things out. When we get to a question, of what, is, what is this about? What is this for? What am I supposed to do? And God is honored when we want to go that next step. And then there are critics, always. Um, verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. The word there is new wine, and it means sweet wine, and it, it means a higher alcoholic content for the first century Jewish person. Um, they're not acting normally. They're weird. And um, let's just, just kind of making fun of them, maybe sarcastic, maybe serious, I don't know. Some made fun. They've had too much wine. Verses 14 through 21, the spectacular event is explained. And by the way... Um, We should just expect that sometimes people are going to think Christians are weird. You don't have to be weird or act weird. But sometimes people are not going to understand spiritual things or they're not going to be able to see what God is doing right in front of their eyes. And it may seem obvious to you, but they won't get it. Some people are just spiritually blind to the gospel. That's normal. And please don't take it personally if people reject his message and his life. Yeah, it, it, you should care, and we want to pray for people. But we get caught up sometimes in us. Oh, they don't like me. What do people think, you know? Expect that there will be people who reject uh, what God is doing. So, verses 14 20 through 21, the spectacular event explained. The spokesman in verse 14 is Peter. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is kind of amazing. It's kind of, you read it, and okay, Peter's going to talk now. Oh, wait a minute. This is Peter, who was scared to death on the night Jesus was crucified. He, be, he um, denied Jesus three times. He's the foot and mouth disciple. He messed up with Jesus so many times, and Jesus kept loving him and helping him. Peter is a changed man. He's bold, he's courageous, he's going to represent God, and he's taking a great risk. We often don't see the risk that Peter took to stand up in the streets of Jerusalem and remind everybody there that you crucified the Messiah. That's what he's going to do. And he stands up right now, and he begins. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Peter with much more courage. He gives the explanation in verses 15 through 20. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. At least 9 in the morning in Israel was not the normal time people got intoxicated. They normally got intoxicated at night. So this would be like way out of the social norm uh, in first century Israel. doesn't mean you couldn't find somebody inebriated at 9 o'clock in the morning if you'd gone into somebody's home, but... This just wasn't way out of the norm. This was 120 of them all at once. 
Verses 15 through 20, the explanation. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, 8th century before the birth of Christ. And here it is, verse 17, in these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And this is to the nation Israel. And there's a time coming where God would pour out his spirit. This is a prophecy. And it would be on all people, meaning it'll be on men and women. It'll be on um, people who are Jewish. It'll be perhaps on people that are not Jewish. And uh, they're, they're going to be able to prophesy. Um, your young men will see visions. That will be supernatural. Prophecy will be supernatural. Your old men will dream dreams. There are going to be some dreams where God is going to communicate to his people. This is divine enablement. This is what God is going to do. It's supernatural communication. God will speak to his people through prophecy, vision, and dreams. Verse 18, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit, the Holy Spirit, in those days. In the Old Testament, called the Spirit of God. And they will prophesy. They will declare the glory of God. So, Peter is saying there's a fulfillment of prophecy taking place. I believe Peter thought it was all going to happen right then and there. Is just going to be laid out right in front of them. But what happened was the beginning of a fulfillment of something brand new, a new era. There is this first part fulfillment and a part later to be fulfilled at a future time. And it's not uncommon at all. It's very common in the Old Testament in prophecies about Jesus coming, the Messiah coming, because often the prophets got the first one and the second one within the same two or three verses. And what they saw was Jesus is coming, but they didn't realize there's going to be a time gap, that some of the things he does the first time he comes, and there are some things that he's going to do the next time he comes, and there's going to be a big gap in between. We, we didn't know. Is there going to be a short gap? Is it going to be next week or next month? And now we see it's a big gap. And yet, he hasn't come, but he is coming. And what we see uh, in verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Well, there's some unusual things happened the day Jesus died. I do not think those are the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. I do think those are the fulfillment of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and 25 at the end of the age. When Jesus comes a second time. And uh, we can talk more about that in the future. But Peter sees what is happening is a fulfillment of prophecy. And then verse 21, the opportunity. And here's what Peter gets out of this. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter sees this as an opportune time, and he's going to stand up, and he's going to proclaim the gospel, and he's going to invite people to be saved from the penalty of their sin. It's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to see it next week, and 3,000 people are going to respond to the gospel just like that on the first day. And we have the beginning of the church that never existed before, did not exist before Acts chapter 2, the beginning of a new era. We're going to be just talking about more of that in the future.
Um, question here. Should we seek to duplicate the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13? Should we seek? Let's just go on. Should we seek to duplicate? And the answer for, that I have is no, we cannot. There's a number of reasons. We can, however, seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is repeatable. It's repeatable in the book of Acts. It's commanded in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. We are to be filled with the Spirit. But we don't go back and do Pentecost all over and pray that God will send His Holy Spirit because He already has sent His Spirit. Um, Something that I'm going to repeat a lot, the answer here, The book of Acts is a description of what happened, not a prescription of what should happen. The book of Acts tells us a story. This is what God did. There are a lot of principles that we we can pull out of that. There are a lot of things that apply directly to us. But the book of Acts is a description. So everything in the book of Acts doesn't mean we're supposed to do it today. If God wants to do some of his things and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, he will do it. We're not commanded, for example, and we'll talk more about this in the future, we're not commanded to speak in other languages. God did it. There is the gift of languages given in the New Testament. Nobody's commanded to speak. It would be a gift, and it would be a language. Um, We'll talk more about it in the future. There's no reason to... So, uh, here are some reasons. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. It is fulfilled by the words of Jesus in John 14, 15, 16. It's the reasons why it's not going to be repeated, because Jesus said, this is what's going to happen, and it happened. We, we, don't, we don't do a do-over. There's also a passage in Isaiah that sees the fulfillment in the book of Acts. Isaiah 28, verse 11. Very well then, Isaiah says, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. There are going to be languages that God will use to send a message to his own people. This was that sort of first tip-off, and it's going to happen in the book of Acts more. And so we're going to have time to talk about this subject if you have a lot of questions about it. It was the beginning of a new era that we call the church age. Pentecost doesn't need to be duplicated because the church is started. It was the starter We're going to see that in Acts 11, that it was the beginning. Um, We don't have to start over. God doesn't uh, need to send his Holy Spirit again. Jesus doesn't need to come and die again. God doesn't need to send his Holy Spirit to start the church again. Um, Both have already happened. And uh, the day of Pentecost began a new work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about more of this as we develop in the book of Acts. First, he he came to baptize believers in the body of Christ. It doesn't say he baptized believers. It says that that Jesus would baptize believers with his spirit. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. We also know, looking back at passages like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that the work of the Holy Spirit happens in the life of every believer where they are baptized. It's not about spiritual maturity. It's about what the, the work of God in the Holy Spirit. And he takes us out of the world and he places us into the body of Christ. And that's how we get connected to Christ, in Christ, united with Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. 
We are immersed into the body of Christ and we become a living part of the body of Christ. And it doesn't happen until we place our faith in Christ and God puts us in by baptism through the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. He also, this began a work of indwelling believers. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit had been with his followers and then the Holy Spirit would be in his followers and that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came to live inside and dwell believers. This is how the church got started. Think about this. Jesus is in heaven. He ascended into heaven. Jesus isn't on earth anymore, but he's got people down here, humans, and he sent his spirit. So now his spirit is present on earth in the body of Christ. He is the head in heaven. And we, representing him and his life, and we have his spirit to to live out. And then lastly, to fill or control believers with the Holy Spirit. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were enabled to serve as God wanted them to serve. And that's the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to do what God wants, enable us to serve Him. And He primarily wanted them to be a witness for Him, to go into all the world and to be a witness for Him, tell people who Jesus is and what He's done. It was about spiritual power and strength. And... It was to get the attention of those who uh, heard this in Jerusalem. And it set the stage now. Everybody's listening. The day of Pentecost has come. These 120 believers are able to speak in a language they didn't learn. And the stage is set now for Peter's sermon. And that's the message next week. So, a couple things. Sometimes, going back over the message, sometimes God gives us instructions that seem hard, like going back to Jerusalem was hard for his disciples. And we don't always understand what God's up to. Let me just say, trust him. You can trust God for what he's up to. If he wants you to wait, if he wants you to pray, if he wants you to discern the future with him, trust him, wait on him. And one of the things that we're going to see in the book of Acts, and we see it after Acts chapter 2, because they trusted him, the disciples' faith will grow immensely in the weeks and months and years ahead. In fact, every one of them is going to be willing to die for Jesus without ever giving in an inch about denying him because of their time with him and their walk with Christ after he went back to heaven. Let's stand and pray. Thanks, Father, uh, for the book of Acts and for Acts chapter 2 and how we see the church get started. And we're going to learn much more about how this develops in the days ahead. I pray that you will encourage us with your word and that we'll be confident in how you work And when you give instructions that uh, you know what lies ahead and how you're going to work and how you will lead us and what you want to accomplish, and you're just looking for faithful people. And so that's my prayer, that we would be faithful people. For Jesus' sake, amen.